The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Welcome to it. Great to be with you on a Thursday. It's Hale Varsity Radio presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. We'll dive into the blue blood topic as you've got uh, a lot of blue in the Final Four, the world of college football, and the Nebraska discussion about the blue blood standing. Good stuff from the athletic mailbag we'll catch up with. Uh, good stuff from Brandon Vogel. Plenty of thoughts from him on the way with spring football. Some Juicy NFL news with Wagner, of course, going to the Rams. And uh, B.A. stepping down or moving upstairs, I should say, for Tampa into the front office. This timing's funny. Do you uh, buy some conspiracy theories out there? We'll get into that. Some uh, college football, Nebraska and NFL thoughts. Jeremiah Searles with us in one hour. Gary Barnett will spend some time with us. We'll dive into the Whipple offense with Barney. And then Burke's best bets. Danny Burke gives you his take from VEASAN Sports Network on the final four lines. Numbers to get in, 466-3776-800-825-5865. Five can email us Chris at HaleVarsity.com and give us a follow on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio. Chris Schmidt, that's me. Elijah Herbal at Herbal Essence uh, is where you find and follow Elijah on Twitter. So we'll hear from Oliver Martin, some uh, some nuances with what he's experienced this spring, a little bit more of a backstory with what happened with him last season. And uh, the media rights deal is interesting. Got the uh, email update a little bit earlier today that Nebraska and uh, their perceived deal with JMI is off uh, right now. The uh, the deal off the table. So what is the future going to look like for Nebraska uh, athletics and uh, when it comes to their media rights? Uh, some thoughts on that in a moment. So. No lie, I am I am more prepared today than Monday. And I know it's a little bit sunnier, a little bit less windy. Big ball game, man, for junior. And uh, the, the freshman Southwest squad, they play at five, so I'll get there a little bit tardy. But uh, they hook up with Lincoln High, and we got Long John's going. I've got a hooded little sweatshirt on. I've got the... Uh, the the not the, the 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 what I thought were warm gloves. I've got the okay. You can survive planet Hoth gloves going, and I I'm still trying to warm up from Monday, man. And and, and Elijah's like, shut up, clown. I'm I'm, I'm out <laughs> in it all the time. I'm umping. You got your gear on, but tis the season uh, with spring in Nebraska where 
Uh, it may look nice outside, but it isn't. No, is the game at Lincoln High or is that Southwest? No, it's at Lincoln High. So what's nice about the Lincoln High fields is that wind is going to be blowing in from left field all the way across the field, and you're going to have dirt blowing right into your face. So have fun with that one. <laughs> um, but I will advise you, there's a lot of parking right along like the, the right field line behind the backstop. Yeah. Don't park there. No, because if someone goes yard, it's time for a new... Uh New windshield. No, anyone who parks like close to th- go park out dead center field. Okay. I-, I have seen way too many balls smash those cars along the right field line on foul balls and whatnot, and just just stay away from that. Go I, go I, park I, out in the outfield. I will. I will. I will do that. Duly noted. But uh, we'll see if Danny Burke can get us a line on uh, Lincoln High and Southwest freshman baseball a run line. Kidding. I'm, 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 I'm staying away from commenting on that. No, you need to because you want to work those someday. <laughs> uh, let's dive in. So what do you think here uh, when it comes to the, the media ride stuff? Does it does it phase you? Are you intrigued by it? The, the thing that when this got when this story came out a, a couple of weeks ago or a week ago, the timeline's kind of blurry for me. But with JMI, right, uh, you have JMI, you have a, a, another entity and then you have Learfield IMG that we're all familiar with have friends that work over there and when I heard that Nebraska was going to get a land 215 million dollars for their media rights deal for a 12 year period like that that is incredible that's big time that that pays for your new facility like let's just start dividing money up but it hit snags. It was an accelerated negotiation. I think what's going to be key for Nebraska is is this. And Trev's a super smart business guy, so he'll get it worked out. I'm not concerned for Nebraska and their ability to make money. I know that when it when they took it in house, they still made about eleven dollars, eleven dollars, eleven million dollars. Sorry, uh, per reports, which is still a good number. But they want their guaranteed money. And you need in the upper teens to, to low 20s a year, I would think. So Nebraska wants to go there. And the other element is this. Nebraska can't directly pay. The athletic department can't pay players through NIL. You need a third party to do that. So you've got uh, the company out there with, uh, with Lembrecht and, and um, former AG. Uh, Bruning. Bruning. That... That, that handle that so you need a third party to to help facilitate that and if i'm if i'm nebraska i'm wanting to kind of put my arms around some of my student athletes if they want to do podcasts if they want to do radio if they want to do appearances or video or whatever they want to make some money uh doing doing uh, name image and likeness stuff do it with 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 our people with our department but we can't pay you to do it so to me that we'll see if if whoever lands this deal is going to team up with an entity to make sure it all stays in-house if you're nebraska not just uh with your head coaches what they make to do radio or the coaches shows but also the ability to to take care of your your players uh, and and keep that with on keep that on your own network, aside from the you know the post game or or the Monday press conference stuff. So we'll see where it goes. The other thing too is, all right, uh, I'm sure Trev looked at this and 
there were some things he maybe wanted that, that weren't included in the, the $215 million deal. So I'm going to back away. There's the number. You want us? It's going to cost you north of $200 million for a 12-year deal. Start passing the hat. That was kind of the, you have the number set. That's the market. Nebraska can go back to JMI, but I think uh, there's a couple other entities, one that you've had familiar business dealings with for years that that have run things at a high level, uh, can come back to you. And I don't know, do you think Nebraska would go back to IMG after how how Nebraska was treated allegedly during uh, the, the start of the, the COVID pandemic? I mean, where allegedly, I mean, I don't think this was ever confirmed, but the, the rumor was out there that IMG was not fulfilling their end of the bargain on the contract, and they said they weren't going to pay Nebraska until after, like they were, they're delaying payments until after they got well, more funds in because what, what, what college was, sports were canceled for a while. Right, so. what was the guaranteed number? And everybody took a bath just from what you've been used to earning mm-hmm. to what you actually earned. You didn't take a bath with TV revenue, clearly. But when it comes to what you can make and sell, it was an issue uh, because of COVID, right? I mean, there was shortfalls for everybody when it comes to not having fans in the stands. You had an abbreviated season. I mean, it was it was a mess the last two years with COVID. And plus, on top of that, you had the issues of businesses shortening up on their uh, their advertising money for things like radio advertisements because you know whenever the times get tough during covid what's the first thing that usually gets cut advertising yeah and and by the way we can't even be open yeah exactly so (laughs) why why are we going to pay for advertising so don't even have a brick and mortar store open yeah it'll shake out but uh that was just interesting that this looked like the ink was drying on it Mm -hmm. and now uh it's been taken to the shredder Let's hear from Oliver Martin, Nebraska football. And Oliver's one of those guys that high four-star guy, uh, Michigan and Iowa, a guy that knows the Big Ten well, now Nebraska. And you're wondering, you know, what happened last year? Because he's one of the guys you get in as a transfer. You're wowed by against Illinois, 100-yard receiving day, can get open and just never replicated the Illinois performance. Well, Oliver Martin spoke yesterday, I think it was yesterday, uh, you know, kind of giving an update, some really insightful stuff for from the wideout on not just Nebraska's offense, but his time in Lincoln. And you look at the receiving core right now, you got Palmer that, that everyone's pretty excited about. Uh, you have Omar, guys are excited about. You're having to replace a lot of production with uh, losing Allen and losing Toure. But Martin seems like one of the guys that can do it. Same with Omar. Same with uh, a, a guy like Palmer. There, there are options there uh, for sure. We we spent a lot of time yesterday on the tight end position that can be uh, a focal point for Nebraska. You know, the Betts thing, let's just put that off to the side and not expect anything. If you get him back, if, 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 not likely, but if you get him back, great. But you have some returning starters that can do some some big-time things for you. But Oliver Martin kind of laying out what his deal was last season and just the frustration level he, he faced because of just uh, an injury he had to, to deal with that really never got back to 100%. I just had a really odd, like, nagging injury that um, didn't allow me to work out or train for a really long time. And 
you know, that was hard for me to transition back into playing once I got back. And, you know, it took a, it took a little while to knock the rust off, I guess. My leg w- wasn't able to bend for a really long time, so I wasn't able to train it and atrophy it a little bit. But, you know, it's been a while since then, so I feel like I've regained all my strength and explosiveness, and I feel like I'm playing at a, at a high level right now. You feel awful for the kid because, I mean, I don't know if he had past injury situations that led to transfers from Michigan and led to transfers to Iowa and then led to a departure from Iowa, but he's kind of been through the ringer in his career trying to find a home. He's talented enough. Iowa's had good receivers. Michigan for sure has had good receivers. You're going to have to get a scholarship and be brought in. You can ball. Uh, More from Martin here. He shifts gears a bit, opens up a little bit here about the Whipple offense, and pretty insightful here. Sounds confident in what it can do. He's got a like really wide variety of pass concepts to attack the different coverages and the holes in the coverages. So feels like he's got an answer to everything, and he can highlight you know the three different receiver positions or the tight end position in a lot of different concepts, which I like a lot. And you know we've installed. Like I said, a wide variety already in spring, so it feels like we're just making a lot of plays downfield. It feels like we've got an answer for most of the coverages if they present us with you know any specific coverage. That's uh, That screams confidence to me with, all right, what are you asking me to do? Do I believe it'll work? And, okay, uh, if someone's trying to defend us this way, Here's our counter to that, and here's how you win on third and eight. Here's how you win on first and ten. And Martin's a guy that has enough speed and athleticism to get deep, but also do some intermediate work. I mean, and that's kind of what what you see the the modern NFL go into is when you have those elite quarterbacks that can shift into whatever based on what coverage they see. You see man coverage, you're going to go with those rub routes. You see uh, cover two, you're going to send a a deep shot down the middle of the field with crossing routes uh, over the middle. You see cover three, or look what the Chiefs do with Travis Kelsey when they see cover three, where he's going to be working over that middle of the field mm-hmm. as well. I mean, there's, there is uh, responses, proper responses to any defense you do see, and that, that's the way football's been moving. It's good to see Nebraska's got a modern offense like that. I'm kind of surprised that's not what they had last year. Well, and, and maybe they did, but and, and we'll get some, some more insight here from Oliver Martin with, I don't doubt that Nebraska had answers. Mm-hmm. What was being taught technique-wise was their buy-in uh, from from past voices, and it sounds like they're super buy-in right now with with Mickey Joseph in his receivers room. More from Oliver Martin here. He talked about his impressions of his position coach. He's big, a big relationship guy. That's one thing that stuck out to me compared to the other coaches I've had is he made relationships with all the guys, and they're pretty tight-knit, and there's a good brotherhood in the room. And then he's at a he holds a lot of people accountable. You need to be doing, you need to be meetings on time. You need to be at the right place at the right time. You need to execute your assignments on the field. And if not, like he'll let you know. Last thought here from Martin before we check in with Brandon Vogel. When it comes to, to Mickey's teachings here, uh, this, is, this is for your toolbox to help you win on Saturdays. He knows the receiver position really well. And there's like a wide variety of drills that we do to work on the different aspects of the receiver and the technique. So like today we were working on getting receivers or DB's hands off from press coverage and then basketball releases and stuff like that. But from my experience, not a ton of coaches have worked on. 
but you get pressed a lot, so you got to use that stuff a lot. And it's, you know, it's it's definitely good to work those drills. You heard times last year where the receivers needed to get separation, right? Or okay, Adrian didn't have enough time to throw the football. It's it's all part of a domino. Where are guys getting off the line? Are they are they winning their matchups? Is there time to to throw? And is is the the, the pass on target? <laughs> Detail is is what I hear from Oliver on Mickey Joseph and uh, what he's teaching to to help guys win in the passing game. Thoughts on the blue blood discussion where Nebraska stands and. A power three league for football. Is that on the horizon? And now. And now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Thanks for hanging out. Welcome back to it. Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. A little bit after five, Jeremiah Searles will check in with us. Gary Barnett on the Whipple offense. In the run game, we say hi to Brandon Vogel, managing editor, HaleVarsity.com and magazine at Brandon L. Vogel on Twitter. Dream Like a Champion, his book with John Cook. Vogues, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing pretty well. How are you? I am good. I am good, and there's a lot I want to talk about, and we just spent some time listening to Oliver Martin, and uh, he's a guy that is, he's not been in front of the media a ton, He's got a, a great track record of being able to go to some power programs. Let's talk role for Oliver Martin, assuming he stays healthy and you wish that for him. Is he a, a guy that could be a top two leading receiver for Nebraska? Do you think he has that skill set? Or what What do you foresee with him? I was really uh, not taken aback in a negative way, but I really loved his insight on just how him and Mickey Joseph have connected. I, I think he, he does have that potential. You know, in fact, going into to last year, I thought he might be a guy who ends up in the top two or three for Nebraska in terms of receptions or receiving yards, just because you, you looked at players like, I mean, we didn't know, we knew Samori Torre was good. We didn't know how it translated to the Big Ten, and obviously there were no issues there. Um, but he was just somebody who I thought, you know, Nebraska's got Toure, they've got uh, Austin Allen at tight end, and Vokalek. You know, Oliver Martin is, is a player who can kind of, is very, is good enough to, if you're going to devote a ton of attention to those guys, he will definitely hurt you. And, you know, got off to a strong start there against Illinois, and then injuries derailed that. So it was, I, I do think he's top two or three receivers for, for Nebraska in 2022. Uh, if he's able to stay healthy, so hopefully that's the case for him because you know it's a it's a strange it's strange enough to have been in two Big Ten programs, much less a third one, and just for a variety of reasons uh, hasn't been able to get it totally on track through no fault of his own. So you hope that for him. Vogues, uh, I want to dive into the projected earnings for the SEC and the Big Ten. They were released earlier by the Athletic. By 2029, you're talking about $100 million for the Big Ten, $117 million for the SEC. And do you think there's a, a merger on the horizon where you have a, a third league come together, i.e. what's left over from the Big 12, the ACC, and the Pac-12? There's a lot of candidates 
when you look at, at Cincy and Houston and then some of the powers in the Pac-12, some of the name schools from the ACC, Okie State's in there for sure with, with how well they've done. And I think Gundy was on uh, Sirius XM earlier this week about you know making the cut. A, do you think there's there's a third horse in the race? B, I know it's been a struggle in the Big Ten, but when we talk about what Coach Osborne, you know, he's always about three plays ahead. You know, the way Nebraska stumbled and struggled, would Nebraska be a, a, a team that would get, would have been scooped up had they not made the move to the Big Ten if we're talking here and now right now with the future of college football? I, yeah, that's that's a that's a pretty t- a tough tough scenario. I think for Nebraska, if you think about you know, if it was still in the Big Twelve, which with what with what had happened with with the Big Twelve, you know, say the SEC still comes in and extracts essentially Texas and, and OU. It's a nice like, word. <laughs> I don't know if uh, you know. I don't know if Nebraska's part of that discussion. They, they might be. I can't say no. You know, just based on the last decade, decade and a half of Nebraska football, still a name brand, but it, it certainly it, it doesn't have the cachet it had when Nebraska jumped to the Big Ten. Um, and I don't think it's you know drastically reduced or damaged in that regard. But it's it's not the same. But you look at you, the Big Twelve now, so you're talking about okay, well, what are these three other Power Five conferences theoretically going to do to to combat? A Big Ten and a, and a SEC, they're making over a hundred million dollars, you know, and I don't know, I don't know what to do because Oklahoma State is kind of the last of the, is the biggest of the kind of traditional Big Eight programs still there. Kansas, when you factor in basketball, for sure, um, and I don't know, like, is, is anybody knocking down Oklahoma State store? They're not going to be for a while. Maybe we'll get there, but. It's it's tough. The Big Twelve and I, I think the ACC probably is pretty happy where it's at. And, you know, there's there's a lot of history uh, among those schools, even through expansion. Kind of leaves you with the Big Twelve and the Pac twelve, but that feels like a you know kind of a, an arranged marriage more than a true love, I guess. But big big picture here, Brandon. Whenever you you look at. Nebraska's results in the Big Ten over the past 10 years, it, it, it almost feels like, well, d- despite the results, this, this was still a good move for Nebraska based on the, the financial security that's coming out. I mean, I don't think anyone foresaw how, how bad it would get for, for football and for basketball, but at the end of the day, this still feels like it was a beneficial move for Nebraska to leave the Big 12 and come to the Big Ten, correct? Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think there's there's any question. Um, and, you know, we can we can look at that transition and i do think it's a part of why you know particularly the the two men's programs that you mentioned have have struggled maybe more than you you would have thought uh with that like moving to the big 10 was not as simple as you know changing changing the letterhead and uh all of all of the signage around around the university there was the big 10 is in I think it is really unique in this regard amongst this kind of peer conferences is definitely its own kind of culture. Um, and, and Nebraska didn't come from that place. And that, that learning curve has, has certainly been steep, but I can't look at this and be like, well, 
Nebraska football playing in the Big Ten, you had to give up Texas recruiting, which, you know, true. I mean, we can look at that and say, well, they don't get as many players from Texas, but that's not why the Huskers have have struggled uh, so far during their time in the Big Ten. So you look at the, well, one, the money, but even perhaps 1A ahead of that, I think, is just the stability to be able to be like, yeah, we already did this a decade ago, and we are good. Uh, so you guys can all sort all of that stuff out. We'll just be here trying to to get better. And count our money. Uh, Brandon Vogel yeah. is with us. Vogels, want to get into the blue blood topic. Uh, you got four blue bloods, arguably three of the four for sure. Nova's making a strong recency case uh, in, in the final four, and it was a pretty interesting mailbag with Andy Staples and he kind of laid out his blue blood bli- blue blood list right now, and he has eleven squads. And I'm just going to read them off, and you know who's going to be absent: uh, Bama, Auburn, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Notre Dame, Buckeyes, Sooners, Penn State, Texas, SC. Texas has been down. Auburn's been up and down. Uh, LSU is. You know, recently a, a champion, but they're also a 500 team just last season. Oklahoma was down for a while. Notre Dame was down for a while. Nebraska's been down. How long do you have to 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 be good to kind of climb back out of relegation? I guess is my question for Nebraska to to get back into the consideration. Recently, not historically. Historically, yes, Nebraska's a blue blood. But how many how many good seasons in a row would you put? down uh, to say okay they're, they're not back but they're not they're not drifting uh, at sea anymore yeah so for a team like nebraska that depending on when you're you're cutting the list and and how you're thinking about it if it's not on a blue blood list like it's it just missed the cut mm-hmm. um and you know that just and it goes beyond just Devaney and Osborne you look at the history of football at the University of Nebraska over the entire time um and you know yeah it didn't win a national title until the 1970s but it was still a pretty strong program for for the vast majority of those years so i think that being the case Nebraska being a program that even 10 years ago i think most people still would have said oh absolutely that's blue blood um, you put together a good four or five year run. I mean, the team that jumps out to me on that on that list is Auburn. Yeah, uh, same. Uh, Auburn is is you know a, a really strong program, but and it, it you just look at the, kind of the national title about all the stuff. It, it's I, I'm surprised it's it's there ahead of some others, and maybe I missed was Clemson on the list. Clemson did not make the list. Clemson's off. Nebraska's not on there, historically speaking. Auburn is. Georgia's good, but to me, Georgia screams eight and four. I know there's a new Georgia. They just won the title. But to me, Georgia's like been an underachiever. I know that Miami's been uh, great for short spurts, and they've been down and out for a while same with tennessee same with florida same with a&m a&m's climbing back up but same with florida state i mean you've got some some dudes that have won for a lot of years that that have been left off the list in the name of of auburn (laughs) and and texas has been kind of garbage quite frankly since vince young yeah, it, it has. You know, it's interesting. Uh, these, all of these lists, they, they you, you dig into them a little bit, 
And it, it shows, you know, that they are very kind of subjective. They're very individual lists because you could say, like, if you're, you know, basing a lot of this on the past, which I think, or on the recent past, which I think is what makes Georgia kind of a no-brainer. Nobody's surprised to see it there. But until three or four months ago, you know, that the talk was the fact that they hadn't won a national title since 1980, whatever it was. 80. Um, <laughs> 1980, yeah. Um, so they were a program that I, I would have considered a lot like Auburn, like clearly a very good and a very strong program that just hadn't gotten over the hump as consistently as some of those other teams on the list. But then, you know, if Clemson's not on there, well, it tells me that Clemson's entire history is being weighed. And, and I can see that point of view too, you know, and mentioned basketball as, the, as we started on this topic, a little similar to, to, to Villanova, uh, one that, first national title in the 80s and then has obviously been a juggernaut uh, since Dabo got things up and running there. But you go back further than that, and then they're a little more middle-of-the-road type of program. So these, these discussions are always interesting. Um, they are perfectly or perfect for, for this time of year. So <laughs> always fun to, to, to kick them around. Brandon, quickly here, about 15 seconds left. Which Big Ten schools, how many Big Ten schools would you define as, as Blue Bloods in football? Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Nebraska, off the top of my head. I don't think I'm leaving anybody off there. But I think Penn, Penn State's the one where I think there's discussions whether or not that they would be considered blue blood. They they are to me because they survived like the worst thing ever. Them and Ohio State, scandal-wise, both have survived it and they've been back winning. So, Vogues, we'll, uh, we'll check in Saturday morning, bud. Thanks for a few minutes today. Thanks a lot, guys. Chime in 402-466-ESPN or email the show, chris at hailvarsity.com. Just try me. Try me. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Open phones here the next 20 minutes. The topic of blue blood and uh, Nebraska missing the list here with Andy Staples mailbag. And recently, listen, you're, you're below 500 in your league. It's not been all right, but listen, I think Nebraska can be a top 25 team next year. I know there's got, there's a lot that needs to come together, and there's also recent history that says Nebraska's just been struggling. It's not been a, a, a talent thing. Nebraska's not Ohio State talent-wise, but they're not below Illinois or Purdue or even Minnesota or Wisconsin talent-wise. It's about executing and development, and I think uh, we played – enough of Oliver Martin for you the first segment that yeah there's some development going on in the wide receiver room but the the blue blood list uh you know we were talking with Vogel a moment ago Brandon Vogel from Hale Varsity and so have you been good for a for multiple years that that to me yes or no with whether or not you're a blue blood and and to me it's it's are you new money? Are you old money? Are you borrowed money? Are you stolen money? Right? I mean, and there's been some programs that have, let's talk Miami. Uh, sorry, Shapiro, but that's the stolen money, right? The, the Ponzi scheme dude who, despite his best efforts, didn't fund any more national championships for the U. Maybe he helped out with the one team. I don't know. But you have that. You have some borrowed money teams that, get hot for a while and then fade. Uh, old money is is Alabama. They've been good for 
years, for a century, pretty much. They've had their ups and downs. They've had their years of probation. To me, Auburn is a squad that Vogues is right. I I don't know that Auburn makes the the, the cut. I know they've won a national championship and played for another in the last 12 years. Oregon is, is new money, right? They've been good since the... Bilotti slash Chip Kelly era, and and we'll see what they do now without Cristobal. They've had coaching turnover. Texas has been going the other way. They're in a bit of a drought on another coach. Uh, Oklahoma had the, the Blake era and the Captain Kangaroo era, but they survived with the right hire with Bob Stoops. What do they do now that Lincoln went off to USC? I think SC is the quickest to, to bounce back. Ohio State's always either maintained or upgraded when they've had to make a hire. Uh, so they aren't, they aren't losing ground with the head coaching or recruiting despite losing sweater vest, despite losing Urban. Day's been pretty good, and they keep printing NFL talent. Notre Dame, what do they do now that Kelly's gone? LSU? Uh, they have Kelly, doesn't know the region down there despite his accent. And, and Coach O inherited some talent but was able to motivate. You know, where's Nebraska fit into this picture? Where's A&M in this picture of the topic of blue blood with resources and dollars? And then there's the inflated, there's the inflation part too. You know, A&M acts like they, they've been a, an 11-1 football team for years. Same with LSU. Like LSU'd always end up nine and three, and how did they do that with forty draft picks, <laughs> right? And then there's Nebraska for years. They're they're in the top three tiers of 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 NFL production, uh, despite the population and, and being in the middle of of the country. You know, Nebraska I think can can get back to uh, a, a solid eight nine win program. That's Top 25 good in a very tough league. And I think you can get back to breaking through because you've done it before. And that's that's the sticking point. That's the, the last part of the definition. Have you been good over several years? Yes. And if you've been good for several years, you have the ability to get back to being good. I mean, do you think that the, the definition of blue blood is, is strictly limited to results on the field? Because t- to me, I, I see a, a blue blood uh, I mean, more, more based on results in the field, but also based on, on that fan support and fan interest side of things where uh, teams that, that do have more fan support and donors and, and whatnot from that, that angle, I think also gets you into that blue blood category a little bit more. Could Nebraska be fading out of the blue blood category because of their results on the field? Uh, yeah, they, but, they, they but, could be getting there, but they're not there yet. No, they're not there yet. And, and your point's great. I mean, it's a partnership. Are you good on the field and do you have a rabid fan base? Well, you've not been great on the field, but your fan base is still going to crank out 60,000 or, or so for the spring game, maybe more. I don't know what it's going to settle on, but it's still going to be top five in the country, <laughs> despite not going bowling for, for five years. Yeah, your fan base is is also part of that definition. In these programs that, that did make the list, Auburn's rabid, mm-hmm. too rabid, if you ask some uh, some former head coaches there with their boosters. Bama's crazy in a great way. <clears throat> Michigan, I don't know what their spring game's going to be like, but you know, Michigan was uh, underachieving, or at least they weren't hitting the bar that many of the fans thought they should hit. They got there last year. But you have some programs that are in transition. I think that the last part of the definition is how do you survive transition? Mm. Okay? 
Are you good? And have you been good for years? I, I even go argue uh, decades. Less than your decade. Have you have you been a, a contender in the national multiple in the, in the in the national college football landscape over the course of multiple decades? Yes, that that's key. Is your fan bu- fan base incredibly passionate and supportive? Yes, that's check two. In part three of this here, how have you handled transition? Because that's been the name of the game in college football. Whether it's your head coaches, your legends that step away, how's the replacement workout? How many assistants do you turn over? What's your recruiting stability like? Have you moved leagues? Because it seems like everybody's moved leagues. And I'll say this, while Nebraska's survived transition financially with the Big Ten, they've not done it on the field. In, in football or basketball consistently. First few years of the Big Ten worked out okay, and then bang, your three coaches later. It's been, it's been difficult. Uh, we'll see how transition works with Lincoln Riley going to the Pac-12. Air Raid should work there. Uh, Texas is on a, a third head coach. Notre Dame, new guy. Does he take over? I... And, and do well, live up to what's been. Notre Dame's been another program that's had a lot of coaching transition. I know they've had 12 years of Coach Kelly, but before that it was Fat Charlie and Willingham, and then you finally got Kelly. You settled on Kelly, but now you're on a fourth coach. That's what's killed uh, Florida State since Bobby. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, on a, they're on a third coach. Uh, Florida's had a ton of turnover post-Urban, and uh, A&M's – Kind of gone through some things as well. Uh, there is uh, the U. The U and Tennessee both have been brutal. They've been almost as bad as Nebraska with coaching turnover. So that's uh, that's part of my, my definition there. But those three things, uh, and yes, Nebraska not putting the red glasses on or being a homer, but they've been good for so long and won at a high level with the fan base. Uh, they just need to survive this transition, and I guess we can say the transition's over. Uh, it's been a decade, but it still has taken some time, and it's not been what we thought as as Nebraska fans. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Tennessee. I think they're the perfect comparison for Nebraska in terms of are you still a blue bud? You're, you're fading from that conversation, but based on the success from from decades ago and the fan support, I think you're, you're on the bottom end of that list of, of blue bloods, but you're still there. You need to turn things around within the next 10 years probably, but uh, there's still a lot of time for that, and I think you still got to consider them a blue blood. And, and I don't think – I don't think Tennessee's done enough historically. I mean, they've not knocked on that door of contention even as close to as often as Nebraska. And now, and now back to Hale Varsity Radio. One final time this hour. Next hour, Jeremiah Searles get his take on the O line, spring football, some NFL news and notes. We'll get Searles' take here on, you know, who you take and who you got. This was interesting on Twitter a little bit ago, and they were running some numbers here between Gronk v. Travis Kelsey. You got to take one. Who you picking? Gronk or Kelsey, same age, same numbers. You're just kind of like looking at me funny, Elijah. I know ring-wise it's a no-brainer, but to me, Gronk's got a he's – a, he's a four-wheel drive with 150,000 miles on him. Kelsey's around 80,000 miles. Yeah, it's if I'm taking one right now for the next five years, I'm taking Kelsey, bar none. Well, both of them got about three to four years. I mean, and one's retired. One may come out of retirement, but 
I mean, if we're going back to the the beginning of the career and you get an entire career with a guy, then then it's a, a much tougher argument. But if we're talking what what they're doing right now, it, it's it's easily Travis Kelsey. I mean, he's. A, if not the top tight end of the league, at least top three. Yeah, but you, you know, I mean, look at the Super Bowl, right? I mean, Gronk had a pretty good Super Bowl against Kansas City. That he did. That he did. I, I can't deny that, but it's just, I mean, Kelsey, I, doesn't Kelsey lead the league in receiving yards over the past five years? It, it's something ridiculous like that that you but would Gronk's, not expect from a tight end. Gronk's touchdown numbers are still pretty salty. They're not quite Kelsey. I think Kelsey's probably three to five more touchdowns the last couple of years and I guess we'll find out this season how much of Travis Kelsey's ability to get open over the middle was a result of him being really good which I think it was or how much of it was the the defense always having to know where Tyree Kill was and having to make sure that they had what are the percentages right yeah how much I mean a lot of it's Kelsey he's awesome but Hill screwed a lot of defenses up. I mean, when you had to run cover three or cover four because of the threat that Tyreek Hill uh, posed to your defense, it opens up a lot of space in that middle of the field. Whenever you have Travis Kelsey lined up, you know, one-on-one with a linebacker, I'm, I'm taking Travis Kelsey in that matchup all day long. But if you're able to bracket Kelsey a little better, I guess we'll see how he does. Well, uh, we'll dive into some NFL thoughts with Searles here on uh, Bruce Arians, on uh, his client Austin Allen, how things are going as he preps for the NFL draft. Some great stuff from Russ Landy yesterday. You can check the podcast out. Uh, had a longtime former NFL scout and uh, draft analyst had some some pretty good insight on some of the Huskers that are hoping to hear their name called at the uh, end of next month. You can send an email if you like, chris at hailvarsity.com. Give us a find on Twitter at Schmidt underscore radio at Herbal Essence for Elijah Herbal. And uh, more with uh, Searles in about 10 minutes on this spring. Started off this hour talking and listening to uh, Oliver Martin, his breakdown of things. And when we talk about the new quarterback and the options on offense with Palmer and Vokalek, when he gets healthy, Elante Brown, Martin, Omar, I mean, those are some dudes, and you factor it in with finding a couple of running backs and then pairing that with the offensive line. How good can the offense be? That's something I want to track, uh, tackle with Searles, get his projections. Now, it's it's so up in the air and the parts are moving due to injury, due to non-availability. But eventually you're going to have you know full strength for the Nebraska offense to work together That'll be more of a fall camp thing, but you'll have some weeks to work and get ready for Ireland. Good stuff. Podcasts can find us, download us, subscribe, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play with Hale Varsity Radio. Hour two on the way, Hale Varsity. We're presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Welcome to Hale Varsity Radio, the voice of Husker Nation. Insight, opinion, expertise, with the biggest and best names talking Nebraska across the state. Join the show on Twitter at Hale Varsity and at Schmitz underscore radio. Call in at 402-466-ESPN or 1-800-825-5865. Here's Chris Schmitz. Back with you, Tower 2. It's Hale Varsity, presented by the Nebraska Lottery. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal, Coach Barnett in about 25 minutes. Danny Burke, Burke's Best Bets. We say hi to our favorite sideline man and former Husker and former Charger, former Panther, former Bill. And I'm missing former Viking. 
Jeremiah Searles with us at Searles 71 underscore HSKR. Traveling man, what do you know? Hey guys, good to be home for a little bit. That's what I know. It's going to be back in Nebraska enjoying some of the nice weather that we got going right now and sitting on the deck. Okay, so I am I am bundled all up. Junior's freshman game started five minutes ago. I froze, froze, froze Monday uh, at, at Millard West. I am uh, I've got the, the 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 puffy coat. I've got the uh, the nuclear gloves. You're telling me it, it has shifted and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be sweating. I mean, I'm sitting outside in shorts and a tank top, but some of us are just built different, Schmitty. I can't help you on that. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow. So you question my... my, the, I, question, my I, question your, I question your grit, Schmitty. Are you a, are you a gritty guy? Are completely, you a gritty guy? Completely gritty, brother, but as I... Did you as, leave the coat in the car? Uh, no. Okay, so I'm a wuss now. I have gone from I'm gritty in some things, and I've turned into a wuss in in other uh, other parts of my life. I can't deal with this. Getting back from Arizona, man. This is this this uh, upper forties or low fifties feels like thirty. I'm I'm not a lineman. I'm not a lineman with that the didn't wear sleeves. Are, are you saying that Searles is more insulated than you? Is that what you're trying to say here? You calling him fat? Not at all. The guy rides seven thousand no. miles a morning on a bike. He's he's not heavy at all. Okay, we got into the topic of blue bloods, and Nebraska didn't make the cut for Andy mm. Staples' list, and. And I get it from a recency standpoint, but I want to ask you, Searles, did, did that even weigh in with you, Nebraska's stature of their program when you were picking a school, or was it more about fit and connection with, with coaches? You know, I think it was probably 70 75% fit and connection, but, I mean, a lot of schools you have good fit and connection, but coming from Colorado, I mean, you grew up and the region knowing what Nebraska was for college football, right? Like, even if you didn't follow them religiously and watch them week in and week out, like, you, someone said Nebraska football, and you just immediately were like, yeah, that's a really damn good football team. And I just knew that all growing up, even though I didn't watch them all the time. So I think that the fact that we've kind of fallen from that revelance is not, I mean, it's not, un, we, we earned that in, a, in some respects from a football program, but, you know, like, it does play a part of past tradition and past history of, this is what this program was built on, but the problem is we haven't won anything in national titles or conference titles for a decade now. It's really hard to say this is what we are because some of these kids weren't even alive last time we won a national title. No, totally agree. Now, are you of the opinion or belief that you've done it before you can do it again? Yeah, I absolutely think you've done it before you can do it again, but the hard part is, the landscape of college football from when we were winning conferences and national championships has changed, I mean, so much. I mean, borderline unrecognizable compared to what it used to be. And so we have a long way to go to get back up to be Alabama's and Clemson's and Ohio State's. And is it impossible? No, nothing's impossible. And look what Cincinnati was able to do and make a run at it. But do we still have a long way to go to get to where we want to be? Absolutely. Can this team be a top 25 squad next year? There's so many question marks. I want to say yes, and I, I'm probably going to lean to no, just based off the fact that I don't know what this team is. You talk about losing four guys to the combine that are going to go to the NFL. You lose some other key starters that aren't going to necessarily be top draft picks, but you look at this team and you've got a bunch of brand new faces, right? I mean, including one at the biggest, most important position, the quarterback position. 
And until we actually can see what he can do with the end on the side of his head, I mean, we saw what he can do with the old gross burn orange on. But, like, until we see what he can actually do, it's hard to actually gauge what this offense is going to be. I think for the last few years we've always been able to project initially, like, well, if Adrian does X, we'll be this. If we can get this kind of production out of JoJo and Cam, we'll get this. All those production players, all those guys that we relied on for so many years now are gone. And we kind of have to wait for who's those new guys that we can really rely on to look at and say, if this player performs at this level, we'll win X amount of games. And I just have not seen enough out of those guys to really get a gauge for what this team might be able to be next year. So, Searles, are you buying into this this development we're hearing about the offensive line under Coach Ryola, where it sounds like they're firing off the ball a lot better and apparently sounds like they're running the ball better in practice? It also sounds like things we heard uh, during last fall camp of things that turned out to, to not be true. So are you buying into what we're hearing about how much this offensive line can develop in only a couple of months? Well, I'll ask you this. Have you seen any any head coach, position coach, come tell the media during spring ball, like, yeah, you know, I just don't think we're developing real well. You know, I just, I just don't think we're doing things right. You know, I think that everyone at this point of the year is doing things right, right, against each other, developing whatever that may look. Now, I do think that there's some philosophy changes. I think there's some things that will be along the line different. But, again, I think that this whole offense is going to look brand new, right? I mean, you've got a brand new play caller. So philosophies change, techniques games change. I think that I have heard from quite a few guys, like, the offensive line is more aggressive, which is good to hear. They're more downhill, more firing off, A-gap, B-gap type of stuff. And so that's all great news in my mind. But, again, you're talking about they're doing it against each other. And when you're doing it against each other, these guys have only known one thing for so many years. So, of course, it looks different. Now, the question is, is it different in a good way or just different because they just haven't figured out how to defend it yet, right? I do buy into that there's some young, good talent. I mean, I'm really excited to watch Henry Latovsky get in there and mix it up. I've heard Kevin Williams has done a really nice job so far this camp. So there's some young guys that I've heard have developed and taking big jumps, and that's the stuff I'm more looking forward and buying into is maybe not as much, hey, this whole offensive line is brand new, but, hey, are some of these young guys taking the jump to be contributors next year? Let's talk uh, philosophy. Jeremiah Searles with us, uh, Hale Varsity Radio. When we talk about – the offensive line and getting downhill and being aggressive because you've heard it before you're right but how would you label the offensive line when you look at the bodies that, that you know and and b how does that fit in philosophically you know why why can the run game be better and why hasn't why hasn't it been as good as it needs to be and that's not just an o-line thing that comes down so what can you do throwing the ball? What can you do? As a, who do you have a running back? Do you have a difference maker that, that helps the running? That, does the running back and offensive line help one another? So that's, that's my question, Searles. You know, what, what, what is there, in your opinion here, to, to make it all better, air quote, all better here, and be more down here, be more physical? Why can it be that way this year? You know, I think the biggest thing is for the last two years, in my opinion, we've never really had an identity in the run game. Like, you could ask five different people that know college football, like, hey, what kind of run team is Nebraska? Half would say, oh, I think they're an RPO. Half would say they're kind of an outside zone team. Another team would say, oh, they're zone read, right? Like, there was no true staple and identity of what this team is. I think watching Pittsburgh last year and and knowing Coach Whipple's kind of philosophy from what I've heard is he's going to have an identity with the run game. And what that means is we're not wavering week in to week out. We're not trying to put our offense to their defense, right? Like, okay, we're going to game plan them so well that this scheme is going to work against them. 
I think when you have a philosophy of, hey, downhill, run off the football, hit them in the teeth over and over again, you kind of take out, like, yeah, we're going to game plan specifically, but if they line up in a defense that isn't perfect to run this play, who gives a crap? Just run off the football and make it work. And I think that's kind of more the philosophy I'm hearing coming from guys is like, you know, we're just going to be downhill, and if it doesn't look pretty all the time, great. Three yards is still a good run. And so I think that the identity in the run game is going to be a big piece this year of why this thing goes or why it doesn't go. Because I think that when you stick with something and you just truly point it out, like this is what we're going to do no matter what, and you just keep hammering away, hammering away, eventually it just becomes your DNA and you just show line up and run it. What do you need from the run game? Is it just willingness to keep after it and, and just say, hey, you, you got to stop us? Or is it, uh, is it something totally different uh, with, with having to, 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 to try and take into account, all right, here's the defensive strength, here's, here's how we can make a living at it. What, what do you have to have? Yeah, so it's, I mean, the run game is so complex when it comes to what comes involved in it. Like, the first thing you have to have is success early in the games, right? Mm-hmm. We always talked about our line coach in the league was like, hey, give the offensive coordinator like, confidence in the run game early in the game. The worst thing imaginable is you call a run play on the first play of the game, and it's a negative play, right? Yeah. It's a minus play. And then the offensive coordinator goes, oh, here we go again, right? <laughs> and they kind of freak out versus you want to make sure you instill confidence, and that's just – a mindset piece. And then the second thing is just knowing what you do well and sticking with it, not trying to do too much. When you try and do too much, things get muddy or the techniques get, okay, you're doing this certain technique against this on this play, but not on this play. And it just gives the kids a lot of think about instead of just keeping it simple, right? Kiss was the thing that Coach Garrison was, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Right? Like just keep it simple, keep it in between the lines and just perfect four or five run plays that you can run against. And then, it really comes hand-in-hand hand with the defense getting you the ball back, getting a lead, right, playing with the lead. It has an effective run game. So there's so much that goes into it. But the biggest thing is just being effective and being good at a few things instead of being average at a lot of things. Good points. Jeremiah Searles, uh, Husker standout, sideline man, uh, longtime NFLer with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Searles going to go to the NFL. What is your read on Tampa? With Bowles taking over, Bruce moving upstairs to pour a drink, and oh yeah, by the way, Tom Brady's back. Are you going conspiracy here, or do you think it's more health-related, or this was B.A.'s plan all along? How do you read into that? <laughs> to honest with you, I just keep falling and going, okay, when's something going to come out of, like, this is what actually happened, right? <laughs> like, I wish that there's going to, like, be, I wish that there could be text threads that just get leaked of, like, owner to GM, GM to Tom, Tom to Bruce, Bruce to Bulls. Like, there's just probably so many things that went around. I think as far as a lot of everyone probably came together at the end of the year, like, okay, what went wrong? Why did it go wrong? Hey, how do we fix this and right the ship? We know we probably got one year left. And then Tom was probably not liking where those talks were going. So he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to retire. And then they were like, no, 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 what do you want, Tom? Like, you call the shots. And then he had all the leverage. And then he either came in and was like, I want BA out or, hey, I want BA in a different role. And, Make no mistakes, Tom Brady is calling every shot in Tampa, Florida right now. There is no doubt in my mind. I I am with you a thousand percent. My theory is this, and you can go back. I don't think they were repped or prepped. They weren't locked in against the Rams. They they didn't look like they should have looked, right? They came out and got rocked. And I think Brady didn't like... You know, it's one thing to, to have a, a, a dictatorship like, like Belichick, 
but everyone was prepared, right? And you have uh, spring break type mentality with Bruce Arians. And spring break's a lot of fun, Searles. We both know that. Mm. But, but eventually you got to get back to work, right? And I thought it just got a little sloppy with Tampa. So I think, I think Tom wants to keep working with Leftwich. And I don't know if B.A. stayed out of that, uh, that, that prep kitchen as much as either of those guys would have liked. Bowles is, you know, New York's such a tough gig. But Bowles is a well-respected defensive guy, so give him a shot. I think guys love playing for Bowles in Tampa defensively. And B.A. is going to just still get paid and go do his thing. That's how I look at it. I think Tom said, this has got to change, or I'm out, I'm out. Okay, now I'm back in, but you you better follow through with with the changes I want. Right, and I think that everyone kind of sees that you don't have to reinvent the wheel down there, right? Like the bones of everything is good. You won a Super Bowl. You made it back to the playoffs. Like sometimes you just need a few new things, just a few new tweaks here and there to really get everyone back refocused. And I think that's a big piece of it too, is just everyone refocused. And if that's a new coordinator, new lingo, just everyone kind of something to bring everyone back. Sometimes that's a really good thing too. All right, let's talk about Austin Allen and some of your other clients, Searles. How have things gone with uh, with the pro days you've been traveling to and? Guys, you have a you have a number of guys that are trying to live that dream, fulfill their dream of getting to the next level, and we're a month away, bud. Yeah, I mean it can't come soon enough for a lot of these guys. They've been working so hard. Austin had a fantastic pro day. Uh, he had a fantastic combine. He's really helped himself a lot, uh, answer questions and alleviating concerns that some of these guys have had, and that's really just the name of the game at this point. And my job as an agent is to kind of get from the from the teams what some of these concerns are for these players that I have and then have them work on those certain things, right? And so that when I tell them, like, hey, you can bring him in, he's worked on X, Y, Z, and then they show up and it's actually fixed, then that's a great thing. gives them a better chance of making a football team. So giving those guys those opportunities, I'm hoping to have a couple guys drafted, Austin being one of them on day three guys. Maybe guy sneaks into day two and I'll do backflips down the hallway. But, you know, I think the, the majority of my guys are going to be PFAs, which is great. I mean, that's what I was. You still have a great career being a PFA, but – I'm just really excited to get this class on, and then I get to start all over again and start recruiting for next year. When are we golfing this spring? Soon. Well, apparently all the grass died on all the golf courses because Nebraska winter's stupid. But, you know, as long as the carts are on, Smitty, and the beers are cold, I can swing them. No, absolutely. And I'm inviting myself to the Chateau de Searles, uh, the Searles no Golf doubt. Club. But, uh, no, that's it. I mean, we got we to gotta huff it, man, like – no cards allowed for a while. It needs to, to flip here for us and needs to green up and warm up. Yeah, I completely agree. I need some green grass and some uh, four, an engine and four tires before I really start pulling the golf clubs out. I, I, amen. The, the beer will, will be cold. Uh, best you and your fam, Searles. We'll talk soon, but thanks for a few minutes today. Hey, absolutely. Appreciate it. Hope to see you guys soon. Go All Big right. Red. There is Jeremiah Searles with us. Hail Varsity. Radio, HaleVarsity.com. And, of course, Searles right there, uh, his new role as as an agent, does a great job representing his clients. And uh, we love catching up, talking some ball with him. Uh, We'll check in more on spring football and Mark Whipple with Gary Barnett on the way. Danny Burke, VEASAN Sports Network, Musburger's outfit. We'll get Danny's take on the Final Four. What does uh, Danny say about the the line right now? Uh, Barney's up next. And now, and now, back to Hale Varsity Radio. Back into it at Hale Varsity Radio, presented by the Nebraska Lottery to a parking lot at a golf course. 
that we all want to play. <laughs> Gary Barnett's with us. So you're just you're just waiting for my phone call. God bless you. Uh, where are you at? Give the listeners a, an idea. Well, you know, I, I, I told you that in confidence. I, I didn't believe you were going to announce it all over the middle of the country. I'm actually at the, in the parking lot at Whisper Rock. I have a Thursday group. We meet for breakfast at 30. I had to take my wife's Mini Cooper down and have it service. And so I was in a time crunch. And, you know, I forgot without the pandemic anymore, there's a lot of traffic. So I almost missed it, but I got it. I got it just in time. Well, the so was it an offer or an order to get the old Mini surfaced, uh, serviced? Was it what? Was it an offer? Hey, sweetie, can I get your car serviced? Or were you told to do so? Uh, well, you know, my wife would never tell me to do something. It was just, it was that time. <laughs> she right. might have, she might have told, might have reminded me that it was our time to do this. So. <laughs> That's pretty good. Gary Barnett says, "I got to ask you this, Coach." Um, have you thought about diving into the old flat top grill, the Blackstone? I'm I'm thinking hard about it. No, no, I haven't. I haven't thought about doing that. I, I, I got too many other issues. So, <laughs> which means that you're buying a new driver, right, <laughs> or a new putter? Maybe I, I, I got a new putter. That's what I'm working on today. So. Man, well, coach, we'll dive into some uh, some college football here, some spring ball. Uh, okay, how are you feeling about next weekend with with Tiger? I, I know he's walking the grounds at Augusta. It'd be awesome to see him. Do you feel like he can pull it off, or do you think he's gonna he's gonna listen to his body? And if he isn't ready, he isn't ready, and he isn't gonna go. I think I think he'll listen to his body, and if he's not ready to go, he won't go. I mean, he's he's just at that age now where if he wants to continue playing, he can't he can't take a lot of risk uh, at this point in time. It doesn't make any sense as much as he wants to. Uh, if he, I mean, if he can do it, I mean, the guy's so competitive that he'll do it. But but I think he's also wiser now, and uh, if he does want to continue playing on some of the uh, uh, in some of the uh, tournaments and further down the road, he's probably wise to just make sure he's absolutely ready. I like you. I I'm like everybody else. I hope he plays. Just bring something more to the to the the whole Masters, and uh, you know, which is something that those of us who love golf, and even those of, of us who aren't that enamored with golf, still love watching. So it's um, you know, he just brings more to the table when he plays. Well, there'll be no Phil, and Tiger is is so much, much watch TV. Gary Barnett's with us uh, before his round at Tail Varsity Radio. Coach, uh, I want to dive into some some thoughts on the portal. Uh, Nebraska's got a big time visitor coming into town from TCU for the spring game a week from Saturday. Uh, one of those ready made edge rushers that's been all Big Twelve. Mathis is the kid's name, so Nebraska fans excited for that. I uh, want to get your take on just some of the parameters and guardrails. I mean, the, the portal's been around here for a little while. What what do you anticipate some uh, changes or at least some rules? Do you think there'll be a kind of a, a, a portal window, or how do you move forward here to make this 
continue to happen, but a little bit less of a wild wild west type setting. Well, it's it's uh, gonna depend on how much influence the coaches actually have on a decision like this, and I think that. Um, First of all, the, the horse is out of the barn. We're not gonna. You're gonna have the portal. There's, there's virtually no way to pull it back in. So now, how do you at least find a way to administer it so that uh, you have a chance to keep your roster in, intact and and do it in a somewhat of an organized way? And I think if the coaches can uh, uh, present enough evidence that uh, the sources to be can make a decision to put a, a time frame on it. Um, th- this whole thing of having it happen in the middle of the season and having it happen in the middle of the winter, uh, y- you know, it, it, it's crazy. But I do think um, everybody, as much as coaches complain about it, it, also is something that they're learning to use and they can use it. It it can work both ways, but I do think number one, they're going to have to put a, um, a limit on when, when it can happen, when you can make the announcement, when you can recruit within a window, um, the tampering piece Hmm. that's out there that most people don't know about, but it's there. I don't know. We were never able to really control tampering uh, when we didn't have the portal. I don't know how you're going to control it when you do have the portal. So that to me looks like the hardest until you, until there's a hard firm uh, leadership model that, that gives that person or that, that particular leadership council, um, y- you know, the liberties and the power to go out and do something about it, it's still going to be there. And tampering is is basically, Chris, coaches <clears throat> reaching out to players that maybe they had recruited and went to another school mm-hmm. and continuing to talk to them about coming to their school through the portal, um, you know, throughout the year. That used to be really illegal, and and now it's it's really common. We you know guys used to use high school coaches, the the players former high school coach uh, to go through him and the coach would contact the high school coach would contact the player. And that way there was no direct contact between the coach that's trying to get him to leave. Um, and the player, it was, it was pretty much through a high school coach or someone else. So the tampering piece, I don't know that you're going to get a whole lot done about it and, and, until there's some sort of authority mm-hmm. that's uh, created. I don't think it's going to change. Gary Barnett's with us, Hale Varsity Radio. Coach, when it came to poaching, did did other schools try and grab your best, or did they get a guy that's maybe second or third team? Did you ever have to deal with it? Did you have to, to mess with it either at Northwestern or Colorado uh, as an assistant or as, as a head coach? Did you have teams trying to come after your guys? Well, I, I did at Colorado immediately after Coach Neuheisel left and went to Washington, and, and I came in. Coach Neuheisel was trying to uh, um, chat with – I'm going to put this nicely – trying to chat with some of the players he had recruited to Colorado and encourage them to take a look at maybe transferring. So I had to do with that uh, a little bit. It usually happens to players who become a little disgruntled, aren't playing as much as they thought they should – 
uh, or there's been a conflict, they've gotten in trouble uh, in school, and and rather than see themselves through this conflict, they want to escape it, and so they just want to run away from it. So it's more things like that than anything else. Uh, did you speak with uh, with Coach Newheisel directly, or did you let the uh, administrators and how did you how did you respond well I think that's probably something that is between coach Neuheisel and I okay <laughs> well, loud and clear neon light <laughs> I, I like it coach uh, I want to talk about Mark Whipple he uh, was with the media yesterday and coach after post practice I mean just he's just kind of a no nonsense no nonsense uh, throwback. He's a football dude, and it was fun to hear from him. And he's excited about the, the back and forth that's gone on with spring and the quarterbacks that have gotten some work in. And a couple of things that stick out with, with Whipple, A, the details, how, how good he is with details, and also how creative he is. It's fair to say that that combination's not always there, right? I mean, that's that's what's one thing it's special about Mark Whipple and his offense is correct. Well, yes, but it, it is, it, it's there and every, everybody who's a coordinator ha, has those sort of things. It just works better for some guys than others. Mm-hmm. You know, and next time you talk to Whip, ask him how he played down here. He was down here at Whisper Rock about, a, about 10 days ago, maybe, maybe <laughs> 14 days ago. Uh, just wondering how he scored. So, uh, uh, I was supposed to try to play with him, but my, my, uh, my, daughter and grandkids were coming out of town. I had to make an airport run, but, um, you know, every one of these guys that's a coordinator has, has got creativity and they've got, uh, schemes and they've got diligence and details and organization, but it just works for some people better than others. And some of it's personality. Um, some of it's just experience, but, but really if you're a college coordinator, um, you, you know, you're you have to be detailed and organized and and probably creative to some extent, or they you wouldn't have been put in that position. Coach, what a thought on Nebraska's offensive line. I mean, that's a work in progress, and the topic of of more aggressiveness has that's been highlighted this spring compared to to maybe in the past. And when you looked at Nebraska's O line, did they seem as aggressive as they could have been, or what's a reason for? lack of aggressiveness because that's that's been a, a priority for nebraska this year to be more physical more fiery off the ball and to me that is offensive line play you're physical you you smash and uh, that's that's how you go win but that's something that was not as consistent as it needed to be in past seasons per the headman. well it's complicated chris but you know aggressiveness in the offensive line is based on three things one is how simple is the game plan? Two, uh, how aggressive is the play caller? And three, how good is the run game? And um, listen, those guys love to run block. That's why they're there. And the more of that they can do, the more aggressive they will be. But it also uh, is complemented by a running back who runs mm. hard and um, cleans up on a mistake that a lineman makes or gets another two yards that the offensive line doesn't have to block for. Uh, that's all tied together. 
You know, I mean, our guys loved to block for Chris Brown and Bobby Purify. They just loved it. And they got, they got more aggressive, uh, more confidence. Uh, when, this, when the game plan was simpler, when the run blocking scheme was simpler, and when the play caller would go ahead and just go after it. So, you know, it's a combination. It's not just a matter of, okay, let's be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all those things put together. Coach, you hit him far and straight. Enjoy uh, Whisper Rock, and we'll get caught up again. Thanks for a few minutes. I'm going to settle for straight. Far as out of my uh, uh, <laughs> work anymore. <laughs> well, uh, hit him, hit him straight, Coach. All right, talk to you, Chris. He's in his thirties, but sounds like he was born with a stogie in one hand and a brew in the other. Now, say my name. It's Schmitty on Hail Varsity Radio. I got the body of a caught preteen Swedish boy. Back into it at Hail Varsity Radio. Time for Burke's Best Bets. Daddy Burke, Beeson Sports Network. Proud of Chicago in with us. Daddy Burke at Danny Burke 5 on Twitter. His show Rush Hour each night on the VEASAN Sports Network and, of course, the, the Daily Daddy podcast. Pride of Chicago, it's it's underway, but I need the run line for freshman baseball. Uh, it's it's a little less blustery, but uh, freshman ball between Lincoln High and Junior's Lincoln Southwest squad. Can you, can you give me a run line? Well, knowing that Junior's on the Southwest squad, I, I think the juice was a little bit on their team here. Look, oh, they got a big... lot of expectations coming <laughs> that, into the season. That's and if some, that's some gravy. Father, it's a lock. <laughs> that's some gravy right there. <laughs> well, they're it's trying... a guaranteed lock, Smitty. Oh, my God. The lock of, the, the lock of Danny for, for Thursday is Lincoln Southwest <laughs> freshman. I'm going to show up late to the game, and it's going to be eight rip or something like that. The, the kiss of death but let's talk some college basketball final four is set minus four and a half rock chalk jayhawk minus four duke uh, are you uh, ready to eat some shrimp cocktail at the uh, the casino the the big room are you loaded up you feeling good schmitty i am feeling a lot better because of the injury of more on villanova it look in all seriousness it's an absolute bummer that that happened to the kid i mean at this point in the stage you just feel for him and if you were in the game i would not be feeling as confident as i do right now in the jayhawks i mean villanova's been i mean even last week i took the points with villanova i was appalled that this line got up to three in favor of houston i get that houston had been doing well but I mean, Jay Wright is arguably the best coach remaining among these teams. They just don't have the deepest team, but they're very disciplined. They're organized. They don't make mistakes, and they take advantage of their free throw opportunities, which is huge. But the issue now is they're going to be missing their second leading score, and you're going against a Kansas team that does have those big bodies. They're coming off an easy win this past Elite Eight performance. And, I mean, you still had time off regardless, but I just – and I get rallying around the guy with the fallen star theory and how that could benefit Villanova. I get it. That's why now that the line's getting to about four in the hook or so, I, I'm not as uh, in, I'm not as in much of a hurry to go and lay that. I'm waiting to see if it gets back down to four consensus-wise. And if it does, if it closes there, I would recommend laying the four with Kansas. If you don't get it and it's above that, have some patience. Wait for an in-game number, which will probably get a better spot. But I do believe Kansas has the advantage over Villanova now. 
They've been shooting lights out this tournament. They're going to out-rebound Villanova, it seems, and I think that'll be the difference maker in that Kansas is just really too talented coming into this matchup. Danny, I, I agree with you. I think Kansas has got a date for, for Monday night, and to me, Villanova just puts you in a you know a vice grip pretty much defensively half court, but Kansas, they're so athletic, and you mentioned controlling the rebounds. They can get some transition going with defensive boards, right? They can get out and run. They are big. They're athletic. They've been shooting well. They're not great from the free throw line, mind you. But to me, that is the difference. Villanova's won and and made it here. Uh, Yes, they're good. Yes, they hit free throws, to your points. But they've done it through their defense. uh, And they've just been better. They've been more physical. They've been more disciplined. They've been more detailed. And they might just be out-athleted, and that's my biggest reason, and it's going to be the Kansas transition offense. Exactly. I mean, you saw that was a huge difference maker in the second half in the last game for Kansas. They just absolutely came alive in the second half. I ended up live betting them. I'm like, I don't think this lead is going to be this narrow for long. And lo and behold, as you just alluded to, Schmidt, I mean, that transition offense, was just unstoppable and if they can do that against Villanova as good and sound as Nova is it's kind of that bend don't break mentality but inevitably it's probably going to come to that because of the lack of depth again Villanova is a very strong structural team but because you're missing one of your top guys are you going to be able to keep up with Kansas if they're getting out to an early lead if they're knocking down their three-pointers can you compete with the long athletic pieces that Kansas possesses. So I'm kind of with you, too. And normally I would be concerned about the terrible free-throw shooting that the Jayhawks have. And if it's a close game, it definitely will be an issue. But if they're getting to the line enough, look, you know, if they're going to shoot, hopefully better than like 60%. But if they're getting there consistently, it'll still do well enough because I do think Villanova will have a, uh, a tough time playing from behind. Danny, let's go to North Carolina and Duke, the later game on Saturday night. And the question here is, does Coach K and Duke get its revenge against North Carolina after what happened at uh, Cameron Indoor? Uh, right now, it looks like Duke is a four-point favorite here uh, as we are, what, 48 hours away from tip? Yeah, Duke has been steady as a four-point favorite ever since I think it opened three in the hook and then it went to four and it's been stagnant there the whole week. What you've seen movement in is the total going up to as high as like 151. I get the love to the total going over, but maybe now it's a little bit too inflated. Uh, I do think Duke is the right side in this game, and I know a lot of people probably hate to think that, believe it, or realize that that could come to fruition, but it just is adding up for Coach K so beautifully, right? I mean, not only do you lose your final home game, to your rival, now you get to play them for the first time in tournament history and for a chance in your final season to end up on top. It's an incredible story. It wouldn't shock anybody if it actually happened. But at the end of the day, Duke has potentially five first-round players for the next draft on their squad. They got a lot of playmakers. We all know this. It's been the story the whole season. So it's a little bit concerning because of the inexperience, and that's been – the Achilles heel, the teams like Duke, the teams like Kentucky, which we saw this tournament. But you've seen this team actually be able to shoot lights out and consistently, and that's the thing that Duke's doing so amazingly. They're getting great shot opportunities and making the most of it. I can't remember the exact percentage they're shooting, but it's just 
an incredible amount larger. I think it's like 10 points more than you're seeing what this North Carolina squad is shooting. And even from deep, too. And Duke has been getting to the free throw line a solid amount. They're knocking down their free throws. I think they're at like 86%. Now, North Carolina does out-rebound Duke. That could be an issue in this game with uh, Baycott. I mean, that guy's a a big body down low that's really going to wreak havoc. But, again, when Duke gets hot, they get hot. And they can play from behind. We've seen that happen many times. Now, I think that's the reason why I'm not – as infatuated with this that pre-flop with Duke because so many times you've been able to get a better number on the squad. And I think that's going to be the same thing here. Considering the familiarity and just the narrative, it'll probably be a back-and-forth game, and then you can judge for yourself which side you like a little bit more and then jump in. So that's probably the way I'm going to approach it and look to find a better spot with Duke. But I do think they have enough talent to overcome North Carolina but I definitely think North Carolina has a better chance at the upset than Villanova does. Danny Burke with us. Burke's best bet. Hail Varsity Radio at Danny Burke 5 on Twitter. To me, it just comes down to, to dudes, like you touched on, and confidence. I think it was monstrous for them to come back and close out like they did against Sparty. And then to, to out-physical and out-execute a team that's tech, like Texas Tech that's a bunch of junkyard Dude. dogs. I think they're taking that with them, and now you got the revenge factor. I think you're right on it, Danny. Danny, we'll get caught up uh, next Thursday and hit some MLB. How's that sound? Hey, it sounds great. I mean, we got to get juniors up tonight, and then we'll be rolling nicely into the start of the Major League Baseball season. Danny, thank you. You got it, guys. Miss us? Come here, brother. Give me a hug. Bring it in for the real thing. We're on call for you. Catch the podcast at HailVarsity.com, the ESPN Lincoln app, or download them on iTunes. Saddle up, partner. Back to Hail Varsity Radio. Back in here one last time as we wrap up this Thursday edition of Hail Varsity Radio. Chris Schmidt scooting out just a little bit early today as he gets uh, down to watch his son play some baseball out at Lincoln High today. No score update yet from Schmitty, uh, but I'm sure he'll have an update for you on that one tomorrow as well. we wrap up the show here. Before we get out of here, do have to remind you that there are over 1,500 crashes each year in Nebraska involving an impaired driver. Driving drunk, buzzed, or high is never acceptable, and law enforcement officers are working around the clock every day to stop it before anyone else is killed or injured. If you're going to drive, remember, don't drink, and if you do drink make sure you designate a sober driver or get yourself a ride share back home Uh, so make sure you get a ride because a dui costs more than you think a message brought to you by the nebraska department of transportation highway safety office Good stuff today, as we heard from Brandon Vogel back in hour one, as well as Jeremiah Searles to lead off this five o'clock hour. Gary Barnett and Danny Burke also with us today. Some technical difficulties with uh, getting those up in podcast form on ESPNLincoln.com, uh, but do not fear they will be up shortly following the show. Just struggling to get them up as we get the uh, the show going. They will be up, though, within the next 15 minutes or so. And the full podcast form will also be available on uh, Spotify, iTunes, 
iTunes, Google Play, wherever you like to get podcasts as well as the Hale Varsity YouTube page is a great way to catch up if you missed anything from today's show. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to have Dr. Rob, Rob Zadishko with us here on Hale Varsity Radios. We're excited to get some offensive line thoughts from him. Got some thoughts uh, on the offensive line from Jeremiah Searles and what really sounds to be some some positive developments coming out of spring ball. How much of that is legit? How many? How much of that is smoke? And how much of that is uh, a result of uh, a, a banged up and depleted Husker defensive line going up against the offensive line this year in spring ball? All that coming up with Dr. Rob tomorrow. Before we get out of here today, a, a couple more thoughts from Oliver Martin as he met with the media yesterday, and uh, he had thoughts on some of the new guys that he has been working with so far this spring. That's Casey Thompson and Mickey Joseph. First, let's hear from uh, – excuse me, let's uh, hear from – oh, why is my mind going blank? Oliver Martin, I am so sorry for that one. Let's hear from Oliver Martin on how he and uh, Mickey Joseph connected early in the spring. It was once. It was last year in like December when the season was over, and he got here. He uh, called me into his office one on one and talked to me, and um, that's where the relationship started. I thought that was pretty cool, and um, you know, I feel like I'm a lot closer with him than the previous coaches I had, and that's that's big for me. And that's what, what Mickey Joseph was brought here to be. He was brought here to be that, that, that wide receivers coach that Nebraska really has not had for these wide receivers. Oliver Martin also touching on Casey Thompson and, and the impact he has made early in spring ball. He's uh, a very vocal leader, and guys rally around that. Like, and It's not a forced leadership. It's pretty natural, and that's, that's even better. So guys rally around that, and then you know he puts in a ton of time studying film knowing the playbook so he can come out and he he can execute plays well and you know he's asserted himself as a good quarterback for our local listeners here on espn lincoln i'll be back at it with the morning hookup tomorrow morning as we talk with dr dane todd and jeff Motes, and then i'll be back in at four to six tomorrow hail varsity radio that's when we'll talk to you next